Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. This week we talk with Jason Stapleton about wealth and power, getting away from false promises in Washington, D.C. and getting it done for your own damn self. Check it out. So did you fly in this morning? Uh, actually, last night. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to be fresh for our interview. That's good. It would be a rough flight <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. It's about five, I don't know, five hours from four hours and a half from yeah. L.A. So, yeah, yeah but you know, happy to come here. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Like, we, I, we first talked at Freedom Fest, and you were in the midst of the Jason Stapleton show, mm-hmm. and and it's it's been really successful for you. Give give us a sense for how big that is. Um, I I, I think we're running I don't know fifteen or twenty thousand listeners a day now, and if you count all the platforms and stuff that that we're out on, and uh, yeah, we it's I had no idea when I started that show. I essentially just wanted an outlet to talk about something. I was uh, I owned a company that dealt with currency trading, and so I knew a lot about politics and how central banks affect currency prices. And I kind of had my own views on the way things should work. And I wanted a way to talk about that. And you couldn't really do that in my business because that's not what people were paying me for. So I started this podcast and just said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to say what's on my mind. And we did that, started that in 2014 and we built into the election and it just, I mean, it kind of blew up and I built a studio out in Kansas and uh, it was, I mean, I, I'm still shocked that it's as popular as it is. All I do really is get on there and, and talk about what I think is important. Yeah. And people, for some reason, listen. Yeah, and it, it started off as, as basically a, a small libertarian perspective on stuff that was happening, arguments that people were having. But but tell us about the evolution, because you're, you're in the process of rebranding yourself yet again. Yeah, I, I and I don't want to... I took a look at the show. So after the election, we we were starting to build it out, and I was getting tired of coming in and and bashing on politics and politicians all the time because it's a I, I don't know I'm a relatively upbeat person. I'm I'm an optimistic person by nature, and to go in and just all this negativity, negativity. I'm putting that in my brain every day. I'm looking at news and trying to find out what makes me angry because I know that that will rile the crowd up and that's what they want to hear. And I said, I I don't want to do this anymore. Like, like, what does this really mean to me? And I I have really five basic principles that are not just political philosophy to me, but are really life philosophy, limited government, individualism, peace, tolerance, and free markets. And I think anybody who ascribes to that to that type of living and that and those beliefs, um, those are the beliefs that create the most amount of opportunity for the most amount of people. Um, and I realized that a lot of my audience had absolutely no desire in applying those principles to their lives. They were just they just wanted to come in and bitch about politics. Yeah. And so I I I made a decision that I. I was going to change the show. And so we we decided we were no longer going to talk about that. And we were going to look at these principles and these ideas more of how do we begin to change, use them to change ourselves. And by that, you know, by I guess by doing that, change our culture. And I know if we can do those two things, that politics changes on its own. So I have uh, you have five rules. I have six. Um, You have five principles. I have six rules. And 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 this, of course, was before Jordan Peterson came up with, with 12 rules. But, but my joke about 
about the the rules that define libertarianism is that I stole them from your mom. Like these are these are not innovative, yeah. new, radical things. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Uh, work for it. Like these are these are things that your mom yeah. told you if she was doing her job, and and she by the way stole them from her mom. And these these principles go back all the way to when humans were trying to figure out how to live in peaceful coexistence. And and this, of course, and I have to say this because this is how people drink on this show. This is a Hayekian principle of, of spontaneous evolution. Right. Uh, so Give we, them a minute. We, we usually drink on this show, but it, it may be a little early for that. But to, to me, um, getting out of what, what you're describing, I would call it like the libertarian ghetto, like where, where there's this small group of people that argue about the non-aggression principle and and you know whether or not uh, six-year-olds um, with automatic weapons on heroin should be allowed to drive. Right. These are these are the questions. Those that are they the big are, questions these, of the day, by yeah. the way, people. Big, yeah. Big questions. And if anyone answer. has the answer to that, yeah. I'd love to know because I'm I'm skeptical that they should be allowed to drive. <laughs> um, but but let's let's get out of that and let's like apply the things that that I think are human values. Um, they're definitely American values. I think they're human values. Um, and I think these are values that would appeal to young people who are trying to figure out where they belong in the world. But if it's just politics, everybody goes back to their tribes and starts fighting with right. each other. And, and, and that is true. And I, I wanted to make one mention. I Every once in a while, you read something, or you hear something, and you're like, man, why didn't I think of that? And that, that phrase, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, uh, that was the title of one of your books that I read um, years ago. I, I just I just remember thinking, man, that's that's incredible. You could wrap up my life, but really that my, my way of thinking in that sentence. And it's funny because when I use that living in LA, a lot of left-wing people out there. And when they start talking about what they believe, I, that's the line I use, you know, fundamentally, this is what I believe. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. And it's amazing. 100 out of 100 people go, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And yeah. now we've got, now we have a bridge with which to any other discussion that stems from that, I can always go back to, well, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. So, but I agree with you that the focus needs to be on how do we apply these in life, not how do we debate. There's there's always room for a philosophical discussion if you want to have one. Uh, I just get tired of having those because I don't I don't know how you get from where we are now to having privately owned roads. You know, to, to me, it's far more important that you create more wealth. And, and, and influence in your own life because that's going to create far more freedom than privatizing all the roads. You know, I happen to believe that the amount of money that you have is directly tied to how much freedom you have because you can't move, you can't go, even if, even if you have the ability, even if it's there, like nobody's restricting you. If you don't have the money, you can't do it. And yeah. so having that is, is critical. It's a critical component that everybody overlooks. And I'm not, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think there's a sense in, for a lot of people that money, talking about money is a bad thing or that wanting more money is, is evil. Uh, you know, we're rebranding the show. I believe it's actually next week after I get back, um, Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton. And the reason I'm changing it is I, those terms typically have a negative connotation with them. But there's something that I believe in my bones that you need to have. I think that you should aspire to 
have more power and more wealth and more influence because that's going to make you more free. And those are not negative things. You know, influence has no moral compass. Power has no moral compass. You have a moral compass. And so to do that and to do it ethically and responsibly, how do we do that? And so that's what we're really talking about on the show and using those principles, these these libertarian or objectivist philosophies that I believe in to underpin that idea. So I want to I want to juxtapose that and I want to dig deep on that because I think that's that's where the, the gold is with with reaching the audience that both you and I aspire to reach to. I, I call them the liberty curious generation. And they're turned off by politics, they're turned off by tribalism, they're turned off by the idea that somebody, they don't know who, decided that they, that they either had to choose team red or team blue. Um, but, you know, the, the it girl in politics today, of course, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I, I find her interesting. We don't spend a lot of time on this show just, just picking on her, even though she says some things that I, that I fundamentally disagree with. My feed has been filled with this article. I'm sure most people watching this have probably seen this from one of their friends. And it's called Thoughts from a Hipster Coffee Shop. And, and this student is, is, is considering an AOC quote. That I'll, that I'll read, an entire generation, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, an entire generation, which is now becoming one of the largest electorates in America, came of age and never saw American prosperity. I have never seen that or experienced that really in my adult life. So a member of Congress, who, well, how old is she? She's 26, I don't, something uh, like maybe that. Maybe something like that. She's in her mid-20s. Yeah, and um, she, she clearly represents... Um, you know, and I say this in the context of uh, young people have never grown up in a, in a more wealthy, opportunity-based society in the history of the universe. So what she's saying is, is sort of factually, fundamentally incorrect. But, but she's speaking to the anxiety to a, an entire generation that, you know, they saw Wall Street bailouts and, and they, they did pay an exorbitant amount of money for a college degree that's no damn good. And, and they're, you know, maybe they're, pulling espressos in a, in a coffee bar. So I, I get the anxiety, but, but what, do, what do we say to people that are buying into that? Well, a, a couple of things on that. The first thing is that it doesn't matter whether it's, well, let me say this first. You, most of your audience and mine probably looks at her and laughs and makes jokes and, and tries to say, oh, what an idiot. And then they move on with the conversation. It's right. very, very important that you don't do that. She is. She has a massive amount of influence over a segment of the population that feels exactly the way she does, and and who sh- who nods their head in agreement when they read that. Doesn't matter whether it's factually untrue or not. There's factually untrue stuff all the time, it, even in our circles, that people believe. It's more important to understand that there are a group of people out there who actually believe that, and I happen to believe it's because most people, for most people, uh, history started the day they were born. And so they have they don't know what it was like in the Carter administration and to, to, to see stagflation, interest rates at 10 percent, inflation rates at 10 percent. They don't have any idea. When I got out of the Marines, I, I went and I my very first place was a one room basement apartment underneath somebody's garage. And I paid one hundred and eighty dollars a month for it. And it was not one bedroom, one room. And so uh I remember they refinanced their house out of a 10% mortgage rate down to six. And they'd been paying 10% on that interest rate since the, since the 80s, the early 80s. Um, and so there are, 
there are a whole bunch of people in this world who don't know what that means and, and who, whose perception of wealth is something that, uh, I mean, is, is fairly distorted. I think what she's really saying there is there are a lot of you who had greater expectations for your life. Yeah. And those haven't been achieved yet. And we live in a society where we want instant gratification now. And we got 25, 26-year-olds who are out of school for a few years. I mean, you, you, I have made, I, I don't want to brag, I have made millions and millions and millions of dollars, millions. And at the age of 26, I was parked in my truck outside of Lowe's, bawling my eyes out because I was flat broke living in somebody else's basement with no idea what I was going to do with my life, no idea where I was. I just knew I wanted something better, wondering if it was wrong to leave the Marine Corps. I, I was just, I was in such a dark place. And now at 40, I mean, it's just amazing how far you've come. And so historical perspective, knowing a little bit is helpful, but understanding that, hey, it, it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. But for back to what she was saying specifically, you have to understand that there are a group of people who were lied to. And I think when I approach it, that's what I tell them. I say, listen, you were lied to. You weren't lied to in the sense that we don't live in the greatest nation um, or the, we don't live in the greatest uh, country on earth or one of the greatest countries on earth. It's that you were told that this was going to be easy. Yeah. And it ain't easy. Yeah. Nothing's easy. You were told that your life was going to be planned out and that if you just followed all these steps that you would have the American dream and it doesn't work like that. So it's okay. You're okay. Everything's going to be fine. Just keep moving, keep pushing, have some direction. And so when we talk about these things on my show, that's a lot of what I talk about is you were lied to, but there's more opportunity. It is easier now to become wealthy than at any point in human history. There's this great, um, and I, I think about this in the context of how politics corrupts our, our responsibilities to, to go out there and get what we want. And, and there was this great interview with Bob Dylan and, and Jan Wenner, I think is how you say his name, but he's the, he's the founder of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, old hippie lefty guy. And, and they were, they, he was worried about the George W. Bush administration. They're, they're talking, I think, primarily about, about war. And and by the way, you can't find this interview unless you have a paper copy because Bob D Dylan didn't give him the answer he wanted because he ultimately said, um, you know, politics is not going to solve this problem. You have to do it for your own damn self. And and I, that's stuck in my mind ever since then because that is the essence of, of the human condition. Any politician, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Elizabeth Warren, Donald Trump, they all promise that they're going to make your life better, but but that's bullshit. Yeah. Like. You're going to make your life better. That's right. And, and maybe your, your wife and your family and your friends, uh, they're, they're going to help lift you up. But if you don't take the first step, uh, don't expect anyone else to do it for you. There's a saying, I don't know who originally said it, but uh, it's, it's, every, the saying goes, everyone's walking around with their umbilical cord hanging out looking for someplace to plug it in. And I find that to be shockingly true from almost everybody None of us really want responsibility. We want to lay that onto somebody else. And we want to believe, we want to have faith that if I turn things over to you, that everything's going to be all right. And the vast majority of people in this country are looking for someone like that. If you look at, I, I went back and just pointed out 
you know, when George Bush was elected and they said it was the end, he stole the election. This was the end of democracy and everything. We're still here. And then when Obama got into office, all your freedoms were going to go away. And, you know, now we're going to be living in a socialist state and uh, we're okay. And now you've got Trump in office. Now the left wingers are screaming that this is going to be the end. And, and, and the fact is, none of those guys matter. They, they just don't. I, there's, I, was, I was eating. For, for a while, I was a, I was a, a hired gun. Uh, in, I, I did security work in Iraq and Afghanistan. And one day I was coming down, there was a, a building uh, that we all lived in on the streets in Erbil, which is in northern Iraq. And I come down, I lived in the house that had the kitchen in it. And in the kitchen, they had a guy who would come and he would basically cook you pretty much whatever you wanted, eggs, bacon, that kind of stuff. And I didn't like breakfast, but I usually got a cup of coffee and I went into the big kitchen area where all of us would sit. And there was a guy sitting across the table from me that worked on a different team. So we had teams of about 20 people and he was on a different team. So I didn't know him very well. But I was talking with another guy that I did work with and we were watching Fox News was on the TV and I don't I don't remember what they were talking about, but I remember he and I, a guy I was friends with, were having a conversation about just how terrible it was. And I looked over at this guy and I said uh, I said so he'd been really quiet. I said, "Hey, what do you think?" And he said uh, he said, "What? That?" I said, "Yeah." I said, oh, I don't care. And I said, I said, what, what do you mean you don't care? Like, you don't care about our nation? You don't care about, I, I was I was confused. My, you know, my right wing brain just couldn't function in, in that type of thinking. And I, I will never forget it. He literally, he's eating cereal. He's shoveling it into his mouth just about as fast as he can. And he drops the spoon. It lands in the milk. The milk splashes out of the bowl. And he looks at me and he goes, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. I really want to know. And I don't know. People are weird who do that job. So you're half wondering whether the guy's going to come across the table at you because yeah. he's angry that you're pushing him during his breakfast time. And But you're not going to back down. So, yeah, I want to know. He goes, I don't care about what any of those guys do because I'm a winner. And he said, you know what winners do? I said, no, what do winners do? He said, they win. He said, it doesn't matter what they do. I will find a way to win because I'm a winner and that's what I do. That's all he said. He picks the spoon back up, continues to eat. I said nothing. Yeah. It was that that is the mindset that I have and that I want everybody to have. Is that none of these guys are going to fix your problems and none of them from can keep you from doing what you need to do. You know, the poorer you are, the more difficult it is for you to get away from people like that. You can look at Venezuela. The only people left there are the people who didn't have the money to leave. Everybody else is gone. Take a look at what we've done in Damascus. The only people still in Damascus are people who don't have any money. They literally didn't have the means to leave. Nobody can keep you down if, if you have the means to resist. And it, that doesn't mean just the political means. It means the financial means as well. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a lot of work. And it's it's uncomfortable and, and taking that responsibility. I, I sort of consider my life philosophy sort of half Ayn Rand and half Jerry Garcia um, <laughs> because Jerry was, of course, a Hayekian. Um, he didn't know that, but um, he, he, he didn't believe in telling anyone else what to do. Um, and, and Rand gets a bad rap because she, she, she focuses on individualism and she calls it selfishness. But what she's really talking about is that personal responsibility when you look in the mirror and you're like, 
something's not right. Something's not right with my life. Something's not right with, with society. Whatever it is, whatever the problem is, um, uh, objectivism, or at least Rand's moral philosophy, whatever you want to call that, was all about the responsibility of individualism, of freedom, the freedom to, to actually fix a problem. It's not, it's not actually the freedom to shrug, even though she named a book after that. All the characters in Atlas Shrugged are trying to fix a problem that's actually bigger than themselves. So I, I feel like it's, it's a fundamentally uh, libertarian thing, but anybody promises you that you're not going to have to work your ass off Again, they're lying to you. Well, and I think um, to talk about Ayn Rand for a minute. When I first read, I, I read Atlas Shrugged. I thought it was. I, I thought the. I thought the writing was okay. I thought the messaging was amazing, and but when I started to study objectivism a little bit, it turned me off. This idea that oh, the the you know, personal pursuit above anything else, and there's no real discussion of charity and and helping others. And um, I, I don't, I'm not one who really believes in sacrifices. I, I believe in choices. Mm-hmm. I think sacrificing using that term makes you a victim. Yeah. It allows you to to put yourself in a victim state. Uh, but I I do believe in charity. But the more I started to study what I believe, the more I really find I'm, I, I tell people I'm libertarian. I'm really an objectivist. And I think there is a lot of confusion in people's minds between selfishness and self-interest. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing. They're two very different things. Uh, selfishness says, I'm going to do what I want, even though I know it hurts you. Um, even though I know it's going to damage you. Uh, self-interest said, I'm going to pursue what I want for my life and allow you to pursue what you want for your life. And where it makes sense, we can cooperate. And where it makes doesn't, we can compete. But there is, I mean, you take charity, for example. People are charitable not for any other reason than self-interest. Right? There's no other reason for it. it. Makes you feel good. There are people who do it publicly so that everybody can see how much money they give away. And there are people who do it privately, but nobody gives money away and then walks away going, oh, I feel terrible. Let me do that again. Oh, I don't want, I don't want to write this check, but I have to be charitable. No, nobody does that. They do it because it, it brings joy and, and satisfaction to their own lives. So even when you're doing good for others, you're doing it for self-interested reasons. So I think once you make that distinction, people feel more comfortable with saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pursue what I want. And that makes Ayn's, uh, Ayn Rand's message resonate with me in a way that it didn't before. Couple, a couple things about, about charity is I think, I think uh, localism and, and charity go together. The, the idea that, that you would want to help somebody or some nation or some community or some problem that you have no context for. You don't know they exist. Um, is very different from wanting your community to prosper, your 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 country, something that you can actually connect with. Yeah. Part of part of your 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 context. The other thing that's sort of fascinating, going back to to my progressive friends, they think there's such a thing as as forcing people to be more charitable, forcing people to be more generous, forcing people to care about other people at the point of a gun. And I've never, I've never got it. Like it's, it's a, it's a choice that you make, and it, it can't be a forced choice. Well, to me, it's a, it's a form of selfishness, is what it is. For you to suggest that I think this is important, and therefore you need to give money to the thing I think is important, is selfish. If, if you want to take a look at, take a look at Bernie Sanders. I, I, I don't, 
uh, he he'll be in the news. He's going to be around. Um, I I would respect Bernie a lot more if he lived his values. If he was somebody who legitimately said there are poor people out there, we need to help them, and he was giving as much of his own money away as he possibly could in order to try and help these different charities, but he doesn't do that. He gives very little money away, and when he does, he gives it to political uh, campaigns, not to the poor. Yeah. And so... And he's now a wealthy guy. He's now a very wealthy man. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a book and he capitalized off of uh, off of his campaign and more power to him. I have no issue with that at all. Uh, I just don't want you to stand up and and claim that you're kind and generous and caring and charitable and but only with somebody else's money. That 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 to me is reprehensible. That that is the that's that's the worst. <laughs> just yeah. to make it really simple. Yeah. And so. Um, for me, that that is that's just pure selfishness. And and when people talk to me about that, that's what I say. I say I don't say, well, you're being selfish. I say, well, I'm just I don't want to be selfish. Uh, and then that sparks this idea. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, I can't I can't force you to give to something I think is important. I, if I really believe it, I have a I have a responsibility, if not the obligation, to try and convince you to give. But I have no right or authority to demand that you do it. And so I, I think that all of these ideas, one of the great things about living in Los Angeles is I get to try all this stuff out on people. And so I spend a lot of time when people find out that I have some little different political philosophies, they want to talk about it. And I love getting able, being able to try this stuff out. And what I find is we are in far more in agreement on what we want as people than any of us want to admit. I mean, nobody wants pollution in the sky. My sister works in China and goes there several times a year. And it's just she comes back sick every time because of the air pollution. Nobody wants people starving in the streets. We all want people to be able to get the medical attention they need when they need it. The question and the problem that occurs and the, the delineation in ideas come from how we solve those problems. And if you can get someone to the point of understanding, listen, you and I want the same thing. Here's why I think this way will work and that one won't. That's how we change culture. That, that's, how we, that's how you really change. If you want to talk about politics, that's how you really change politics. You change it around the water cooler. You talk about charity being local. I think ch- culture changes at the local level when people are willing to share ideas and understand how to do it. We are far too concerned as libertarian people with winning arguments instead of winning converts yeah well let's talk about let's let's talk about the the nuts and bolts of that because everything about charity everything about making the world a better place gets back to wealth creation and money you can't help people if you don't have correct anything to help them with (laughs) right well, you can. I know that's radical. Here's what here's what I say. I, I say there there are people with money and there are people with time. Uh, typically, you're one or the other. Uh, and so, if you are someone who doesn't have a lot of money, you can always donate your time. Um, I used to I have this com- when I have a chair. I have a charity conversation in some of the training that I teach people. And one guy said, "I don't really know. I don't have a lot of money, and I don't know how I'm gonna. I'm barely making ends meet as I'm trying to grow my company, and I don't know what to do." And I said, "Look for an opportunity to just do somebody right." And it turns out that he works in heating and cooling, and some woman from his church, their the unit broke down, and he was able to go out and for a few bucks, all the labor for free, get the thing back on in the winter time, and she had uh, she had hot water again. 
and he sent me an email and he just said, man, I, I, I don't know why I never thought of it that way, but I, I did it. Now, if you truly want, if you want to make change on a big scale, you're going to have to have money. Uh, if you look at it, I mean, most of the charities spend the bulk of their time trying to find people with money and get them to give it to them. And when you're a person of means, that's really what you do. There's, I've always said I'm, I'm, I'm really too busy to show up on a Saturday for a work project, but I can, I can give you the money to buy all the equipment, the rakes and the paint and all of that stuff so that you can get the job done. And the world needs both kind of people. And so for me, it's always been about how do I make, how do I make as much as I possibly can? How do I make a ridiculous amount of money? How do I make so much money that I don't even know where all of it is? And the point of that is not so that I can drive a Ferrari or that I can live in a mansion down by the beach. It's so that I don't ever have to be beholden to anyone and I get to choose what I use that money for. Yeah. Because the more I, the more you give away to, to government or anybody else, the, the less you have control of. And, and people understand, your political leaders understand that the less money you have, the less control you have. And so they seek to amass as much of it as they can, the right, the left, everybody there. And your job should be to amass as much as you can. Money is a thing, like a car or a house. It should, you should want to acquire it. You should want to have as much of it as you can because that provides you the most control. Yeah, the, the, and, and of course, the way that you phrase that would, would be shocking to uh, young democratic socialists who, who think that, that it's, it's somehow inappropriate to want to have money, but you're, which are, you're not talking about money at all. You're talking about autonomy. You're talking about control over, over your own life. Um, you're talking about things that, that are sort of built into this generation. They, they live in a very yeah. democratized world where they have lots of autonomy. Well, I, I think there's some confusion about, I, I think most of the young socialists out there are working from a, a very old framework of, oh, the way we acquire wealth is through conquest and theft. Yeah. Because up until the birth of this nation, that was really how you got rich. You got rich by taking your army out and destroying somebody else and pilfering their land and enslaving their people. And that was how you grew in wealth and power. Game of Thrones stuff. Very much so, yeah. yeah. We don't, that's not our world. The, the, for the first time in human history, we have the ability to make a fortune helping other people. And so if there are always nefarious ways to get rich, there are always underhanded ways there, are, you know, you want to talk about the banking, the bankers and the politicians and the corrupt companies that are going and getting special favors and special legislation that allows them to operate and, and to have a competitive advantage. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about you being able to go out and solve a problem worthy of being solved and then someone paying you a, an outrageous amount of money because they derived far more in value from what you gave them than what they gave you. And yep. so when we talk about amassing wealth, I'm not talking about screwing people over. I'm talking about finding a way to provide value to the world that people are willing to compensate you for. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why the the progressive left. I didn't really see this coming, but it makes perfect sense to me now. The way that they attack the, the gig economy, the way that they go after Uber drivers and the way they go after Airbnb and Thumbtack or whatever those decentralized structures by which a young person can create, um, create wealth, um, 
create their own yeah. destiny because they, they choose the jobs they want to work for. They don't, they don't have a boss in the sense that, that you and I did when we were young. They, 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 they build it a la carte in a way that, that eliminates the need for, for unionism, eliminates the need for uh, government support programs that, that sort of transfer that power to the middleman, the government. Well, and take AOC's comment that you read earlier. It's, it's clear she's angry that she doesn't have more money. Yet she lives in a nation where that's as easy to come by now as it's ever been. I mean, I remember when I set up my first website, I, I, I was in Afghanistan and I was on what was essentially a dial up connection. And at that point, there were no maybe some of your audience, they're not into this, but there are drag and drop web builders now that you could literally have a website up in three hours and it would look decent. It wouldn't look terrible. Mm -hmm. I can remember sitting in Afghanistan and trying to I had like three browser windows open and I was looking at how do I what's the code to change the color of the background of this website? And then I would find the code in the back office of the website and the 80 pages of code. And I would make a change and then I would hit refresh and I would wait 30 seconds. And then I would realize that didn't work. So then I would go back and I would change it back again, wait another 30 seconds. It took me, I mean, it was so painful and so difficult. When I first started streaming video online, most people couldn't watch it. It, we were still at a stage where, especially if you were overseas anywhere, live streaming was not a thing and certainly not on your phone. Now, I mean, good grief, you can have a website up in an hour. You can literally open your phone up and start recording and messaging and building a brand and a reputation online. That's, that's all new and it's all free. It costs you nothing. The phone's already in your pocket. YouTube's free. There's just, there's no excuse. If you are poor in America today, it's because you don't want it. It's because you don't have the drive or the ambition or the willingness to risk. That's the only reason. That's it. So if you're going to be poor and you want to stay poor, accept it and don't be angry or go out and get it because it's easier now than it's ever been. The president's flying over as we speak. Yeah, no doubt. No there doubt. we go. Is that, is that really? That's the president? Uh, it probably is, probably actually. Because um, you, I mean... Can I say where we're at? Is that yeah, right? yeah. Okay. You get, you're really close to the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. It's like a we're, stone's throw. We're a couple, we're three blocks from the Capitol. Uh, the Death Star, as I like to call yeah. it. Um, we, we, we probably should be in a, in a bunker in Idaho if we really were living our values. I gotta, well, I got to tell you, you, you be in here in Washington, D.C. Every time I come here, I went and walked around the mall last night. I just think the mall's beautiful at yeah. night. And uh, it's not too humid and nasty out here yet. So it was, it was a nice walk. And... Um, I don't know. I have some really good memories from being here because the last time I was here, we were filming this, that TV show, the Tesla files. And, uh, and I had a really great time on that, but there is just, this is really the seed of corruption in, in America. It's, it all kind of centers here. Yeah. And I don't know, you just, that, that humidity just makes you feel a little sticky and a little dirty. <laughs> well, you, you walk, you walk, uh, down any street in, in this city and and you see the largesse of big government. There's there's all of these these special interests, and they're they're not ideological at all. Even though some special interests affiliate with the Democrats and some with Republicans, they're all looking to get a seat at the table before the rest of us. And, right. And this ties directly to what we're talking about because, you know, if if you think that there's a piece of legislation that's going to make your life better, you need to spend a day walking around D.C. Looking at all of these 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 alphabet uh, associations and and so-called charities, 
that their, their entire job is to either screw um, their consumers or screw their competitors or, or game the system in a way that doesn't make it fair for everybody else. And I think that's, there's a, um, uh, I, I, I aspire and I've, I've had uh, one of my progressive friends, I would love to get AOC on this show. I don't, I don't think she would ever do it, but the, the, the crux of the problem that they have is that whenever you centralize that much power, um, you, you attract all of these bad yes. actors yeah. that want a piece of it. And, and maybe they weren't bad actors when they started, but if that's the game, if that's the game of thrones, um, ultimately you want, you, want to, you want to sit down with the committee chairman and you want to slip that thing into the legislation. So, so whatever your grandiose um, uh, pretense that you're you're going to come up with legislation that's going to keep people from being poor. Well, I think there's a misconception by a lot of people that their political leaders are spending their days dreaming up how am I going to help my constituents. Right. I just I, I've I've got this burning desire to just make the people of Connecticut and make their lives better. And so what kind of legislation could we craft? What would really make a difference? And the fact is, all that legislation is being crafted by somebody else. Right. And it's being showed and delivered to them so that they can then put it on the floor for a vote. And if there's enough money flowing through, nobody even reads it. Yeah. And and so and the more complex and the bigger it is, the more the more likely it is that nobody's going to read it. Uh, nobody is looking out for you. Everybody. This goes back to this principle of self-interest is that nobody is looking out for you. Everybody's looking out for number one. If they're going to do for you, it will be because emotionally, financially, uh, physically, it benefits them. And so stop looking to those people to make your life better. They can't. They can't. Only you can do that. Self-interest is a human condition and, and, and we can, we can figure out the way that, that self-interest makes for a better society, or we can try to stifle it. And all you end up doing is, is creating someone like Nicolas Maduro. Yes. Well, and the great thing about our, the way, the way we view the world, um, you and I, is that we don't, we don't, suggest that you can't have a society where from each according to his need, you know, um, from each according to his ability to his need. Um, yeah, I just really botched that, but you get what I'm saying. Nothing wrong with it's a probably socialist. probably good that you can't, yeah, spot I can't Marx, that I can't um, remember it spontaneously, um, but no, it's, uh, it, there's nothing saying you can't do that as long as it's voluntary. Yeah. I, I would have no issue with people who really, cause there is a segment of the population that really doesn't care about the money. They do their job, they they do work because they love it and they want to live in a society where everyone is kind to each other and where everything is shared and community owned. There are, there's a group of people like that. No reason why that can't exist. Yeah. As long as people are free to come and go as they please. And so what I find is that that doesn't produce innovation, that doesn't produce uh, I don't know, it uh, it doesn't produce growth. It produces stagnation. And that this, the you, the Xanadu, the, the Shangri-La that they think that they're creating, they're, they're truly not. They're, what they're doing, what they find is that there are a host of problems that tie directly to human nature that can't be fixed. There's actually, so I, I'm, I'm sort of sympathetic with, with people that there's a, there's a guy, I forget his name, but there's a guy in the Libertarian Party who calls himself a Libertarian Socialist. And he ran for for chairman and he was he was mostly just sort of booed because I think a lot of libertarians would view that as a, a fundamental contradiction. But but of course the, the the Marxist literature gets to that 
that sort of romantic idea that you you could have a stateless society, um, and and part of it part of it is fundamentally impossible. You can't have you can't have a stateless society without property rights, without a means of exchange, all the things that Marx sort of dreamed of. But but they at least um, if if you agree that force is not an option, I'm all for you letting go 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 out and try it. And there's actually a um, there's 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 communes that sort of experiment on this where the entire community doesn't act unless they agree, mm-hmm. which basically means that the government doesn't do anything because right. almost nobody ever agrees. Like, like on I, everything. I, I can't. Yeah. The only reason I agree with my wife is because she tells me what to think, and I I say yeah, that's exactly what I think. Right. Well, <laughs> well, I've always said I believe in benevolent dictatorships as long as I'm the dictator. Right. Uh, and, and so I think that there are there are pieces there are parts of our society that work really well under dictatorship for example corporate ownership mm-hmm. um, I would not I would not run my company based on popular vote you know we're going to do what I want to do and I might look for input but I decide yeah. uh, that's a dictatorship and that works really well for for that piece um, but uh, but I, I agree with you I think that I think that as long as it's voluntary there's no reason I, I've always said, I don't know if capitalism is the best system. I don't know. I just know it's the best one we've ever come up with. And it doesn't mean that modifying it wouldn't improve it. Uh, And I'm all for trying it out. So, yeah, if you want to try, you know, a little different style or you want to try some completely new form, I think you should have the liberty and the freedom to do that. And the problem is in America is you can't step out. You can't say, hey, we want to try something different and see how this works. It's, It's almost impossible. And, um... That has really restricted, I think, our ability to create a, I don't know, a, a freer and more open society. But, I mean, that's why we talk about this stuff is, uh, you know, present some ideas and talk about how you can control your yourself and your own destiny rather than looking to somebody else to provide for you. And by the way, either way, if you, if you want to create the perfect uh, nonviolent socialist vision that, that you think you understand, um, organizing people is a hell of a lot of work. And you would le- know, le- yeah. Leadership is yeah. a hell of a lot of work, <laughs> and it it gets back to the first principle we talked about. And I want to I want to drill that home to everybody, no matter of your ideology, whatever you're thinking about. If you're if you're a libertarian and you're not out there working for it, you're you're not getting it done. Um, so let let's get back to that principle of work. Like when when you're telling, you know. I, my sense is that your audience is, is there's a lot of young people trying to figure out where they're going to go with, yep. their, with their lives. How do, they, how do they start a business? How do they get that sort of autonomy and define themselves? What, what do you tell them? Uh, well, it, I don't know. I can't tell you what to do with your life. Right. I, I mean, there's people who say, well, I, I don't know what I want to do. I say, well, you know, you got to figure that out. Once you know what you want, I can, I can help you get it, but I can't tell you what to be passionate about. And so what I did, I can tell you what I did. What I did and I've, uh, is I sat down one day and I said, if I could do anything in the world, no restrictions, but I had to do it every day for the rest of my life, what would I want to do? I, 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 w- I would have to be something that I could do at the age of 20, at 30, and it could also be something at the age of 80 that I could do and that I would enjoy and that I would want to get out of bed for. And then where would I want to do that at? Again, no restrictions, just completely wide open. If I could build the life from scratch that I wanted, no matter how grandiose, what would it be? 
and I started writing some stuff down. I wrote down my perfect day. I said, this is when I would get up, and this is what I would do very first thing, and then this is when I would go to work, and this is how long I would work for, and this is the kind of stuff that I think I would want to do during my day, and I listed it all out. And at the time, I decided that the first time I did it, I said, well, I think I would like to be in the financial services business. I said, I don't know what, broker, I don't have any idea, but I know that that interests me. And so starting at about the age of 30, that's what I kind of started doing was I, I invested a lot of time and effort and energy into that. And then about 10 years later, I became bored with it. And I said, well, what am I going to do now? I said, well, let's do this again. And went back through it again. And I said, you know, I built a lot of successful brands. I enjoy helping people more than anything else. Getting an email from somebody who says, what the advice you gave me helped change my life. And now I'm in a different place than I was. I'm much happier now. I'm much more successful. Whatever it is, um, is more rewarding to me than all of the money. And so I wanted to do something like that. And I believe so much in these, in this idea of creating influence, amassing wealth so that you can be freer that I decided I wanted to start a business, a consulting business that basically talked about that. So I don't know how to tell people what they want because everybody wants something different. But I can tell you that it's not going to come easy, um, that you're going to have to work for it. But what, what, I mean, what's really work? I mean, really, what do we do? Look at it. This is work. Yeah. 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 Uh, th this We're going to put this out and a bunch of people are going to come listen to my show. My advertising rates are going to go up and I'm going to make even more money. I literally sit in an air conditioned studio and talk into a microphone or sit behind a video camera talking to people. I talk and I type. That's literally my entire job. I'm not out there grinding it in the fields. I'm not roofing a house in Georgia in July. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Okay. The idea of work today is so different than what it was a generation or two ago that I think, you know, you really need to stop complaining. Yeah, you might have to work. I always said I got rich between 10 and 2. I, I worked my regular job and starting at 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., that's when I worked on what I wanted to work on. That's how I built my brand and my business. If you're not willing to do that after you've been laying around in a chair all day, if you can't spend three or four hours working on your vision and sleeping a few extra, a few less hours a night for a little while, I mean, then be satisfied. Be satisfied never achieving. Be satisfied with a level of mediocrity somewhere between total failure and your true potential because that's where you're going to live along with 90% of the rest of the population. Just accept it because you're not willing to do what's necessary. You know, getting rich, having fame or success or whatever it is you want is a byproduct of two things. Number one, knowing the cost. What is it going to cost for me to achieve this? And number two, pay it. That's it. It's the same. It's life is that way. Figure out what it costs to get what you want and then pay the price. If you're not willing to, then don't complain and cry because we don't live in a world anymore where you're limited by your physical restrictions or, you know, it's not, we don't have a shortage of time unless it's self-imposed. This is, all of that is nonsense. It, it, like I said, it's easier now than it's ever been. And by the way, so paying the price gets you to a point where you can actually wake up because you love your job. Yeah, and, no, I, I, I work 24 yeah. hours a day in my mind. Even, even when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about stuff, but but it, it's a it's a freaking joy to do what I do. But it wasn't fun 
getting to where I am today. There was some, there was a price to be paid. No, I remember when I, when I started my, my, my company, my first company, I was up, I got up at four 30 every morning and I drove downtown and I worked until, uh, three or four, five, four, three or four in the afternoon. And then I came home, I spent a couple of hours with my kids and then I would work until 10 o'clock at night. And I did that every day for like four or five years. And people, people look at me and they say, well, when do you sleep, man? Like your, your production level is so high. When do you sleep? And, and don't you get burned out? And yeah, there are times when I need to take a break. I'm not going to say, but I love what I do. I'm not, I'm not a, people talk about workaholics. I do what I love every day. I'm passionate about it. That's why I spend so much time on it. If I have a choice, that's what I want to do because that's what I love to do. And that's why I say, man, when you find that, when you find that thing that you need, like you need air, like you can't take it away from me because my life, I, I couldn't live without that thing. That's where you need to go. That's the direction you need to go in. And the amazing thing is that you can make money doing anything. You want to start a, you love underwater basket weaving. You know, you just start it up. There's, we can reach the whole world. I guarantee you there's at least a 10,000 people out there who love underwater basket there's, weaving there's or who'd be yeah. into it. Yeah. Right. And so there's just, there's, that's, that's the trick is figuring out what you need. And if you don't know what that is, then you need to experience some more life. You need yeah. to get out of your comfort zone and, and see what the world has to offer. So give us a shameless plug. How do people get more Jason Stapleton if, if, if they're into that thing? Uh, well, you can just search for Wealth, Power, and Influence on uh, iTunes, and we've got the podcast there, and you can go to jasonstapleton.com. We've got, uh, I mean, there's lots of stuff there talking about how to build wealth and increase your, I mean, increase your own uh, business and stuff like that. And uh, Instagram is at the Jason Stapleton. That's where I spend most of my time, and uh yeah, if you want to see all of my ads that I run, you can go to Facebook, but I don't spend a lot of time there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good to really see you nice. again. Are yeah. you, you going to be at Freedom Fest? Uh, I don't know. They haven't invited me. I'm going to Pork Fest uh, for the first time this year. Yeah, I think and I'm going to go to Pork Fest. Are you Fest. really? Okay, I've, well, I've been once before. Okay. I, I've, I've heard it is an absolute bear to get to, so I'm not excited about that. But I'm going because there's enough people there that, that – I like that I haven't seen in a long yeah. time and I, I want to go see him. So yeah. uh, we're going to go do that. And uh, so congratulations on the success, everything you're doing. I, we were saying before the show started, you are, I thought I was busy. You have your hands in everything. You, you are, I, 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 I think of you as kind of like that a puppet master of sorts. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, oh, Matt Kibbe. Oh yeah, I've heard of that guy. But what you don't realize is Matt secretly runs the world. That that's what you don't really know. No, no, this is where the Jerry Garcia part comes in. <laughs> I don't want to tell anybody else what to do with their lives. I'm I'm just too damn. You influence the world, then. That, yeah. that's a better. I, way I, to I try to reach people, and yeah. and and that's what that's what had us in common. Thank you so much. This was Thank awesome. You. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so we can reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.